from this computer. Good afternoon, at evening, morning, wherever we find you. Uh, you're listening to Doth Protests Too Much. Um, and if for our listeners who follow us and subscribe and follow us on social media, you'll see that we have a new, uh, I guess, new artwork for the podcast designed by yours truly with the help of Canva, which has basically made every single person a graphic designer today. And so... Um, and uh, if you're curious who those people are, Thomas Cramner is on the left side and Martin Luther is on the right side. We feel it appropriate with our hosts of the show coming from Anglican and Lutheran backgrounds. Um, it's very reformational and it's also very Anglican and very Lutheran. So, uh, but obviously we'll still cover the, um, you know, broad array of topics across uh, you know, pan-Protestant history and theology. And so today we actually have a, <clears throat> probably one, nothing against our other guests, but maybe one of the most interesting guests we've ever had on the show. He does a podcast on comic books and theology. We have the Reverend Kyle Tomlin here. Actually, it's the very Reverend because he is a dean of a convocation. I'm understanding, or is it, called, is it a convocation or uh, they call it something different where you're at? They call them regions in our <laughs> area here a region um and so it's kind of a like a priest uh, you know it's um like a region they have a priest from from a certain region that gather periodically and the dean is kind of the serves as oversight in that in that um kyle is a rector of the church of the messiah in fredericksburg virginia where he has served since 2015 uh, prior to ordained ministry, he was a social worker and a counselor at Family Service Association uh, for Atlantic County in New Jersey. He holds an MDiv or Master of Divinity from Trinity uh, Episcopal School for Ministry in Ambridge, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he describes himself as a Christ-centered Reformational Anglican, uh, as he says in, in the bio on the church website, so we are in good company today. He enjoys the works of uh, Martin Luther and the Church Fathers, which excites me as I too love Luther and the Fathers, and I could spend all day in Lutheran's, Luther's works or the patristics. And he also likes, from the <laughs> church bio site again, quote, he also likes many, many, many comic books, unquote. And that I'm afraid I can't really relate to is I don't really know comics too well, but I think James knows some, and James is joining us today as well. Um, although I do have one comic, what was the the very first comic book that Spider-Man ever appeared in. I don't have an original issue, so Amazing, yeah, Fantasy. Yeah, Amazing Fantasy 15. Amazing Fantasy 15, yeah. I don't I have like a reissue of that. So I'm not sitting on like millions of dollars. It's not an original. <laughs> um so I have that and I also have the uh, illustrated DC history. Um and then there was a graphic novel of Batman put out in the late 80s that like, I guess, Burton kind of used it for his inspiration for his first Batman movie. Was it the killing joke? Was it the, I feel like it was a guy named, by a guy named Franklin. Uh, Frank, oh, Miller. Frank, Frank Miller, Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Dark Knight Returns. It was, it was Dark Knight Returns and it got lost in a move, but a friend gave that to me. So that's about the extent mm -hmm. of my collection. It's a good one. Um, yeah. That's Bye. from what I hear, it's a great one. Um, so uh, I got to finish your introduction. Kyle is a host of God and Comics, uh, along with two other uh, priests, Jonathan Michigan and Matt Stromberg. 
Uh, it's a podcast that explores the intersection of Christianity and the comic book medium. Uh, he holds a, Kyle holds a third degree black belt in, uh, can you pronounce um, what your third degree black belt is in? It's in Sato Okinawan Gojuru. Okay. And what is that? Uh, it is an Okinawan martial art that blends um, elements of Japanese martial arts with elements of Chinese martial arts. Um, that's sort of a, a basic definition. Okay. Um, and Kyle is also an avid fan of classic rock music. I gotta ask you, what are your two favorite classic rock bands? Hmm. It's always a hard question. Um, I, I'm just going to say in the particular moment that I'm in what I'm listening to, because I have a difficult time. I have a broad range of favorites. Uh, right now, my favorites, the things that I'm listening to a lot are um, The Grateful Dead and uh, and the band Genesis. OK, cool. Genesis is good. Good prog. Uh, I was well, James and I are going to share ours. I was like, I was like, what exactly is classic rock? It's always, fluid. yeah. And now Nirvana is considered classic rock, so I don't. No. <laughs> but yeah. um, no. uh, uh, what's your least favorite classic rock band? Mm, wow. Um, gosh, uh, I'm going to borrow a line from my uh, teacher and mentor, Paul Zoll and say that it's REO Speedwagon because they're proof that original sin exists. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, James, uh, we talked about this before the show. Right. I wanted to surprise Kyle, but um, you got, you know, you got a heads up. What are your two favorite and your least one? Your um, least. Well, so I'll give you my top three. Um, so top is definitely Led Zeppelin. Um, second would probably be Leonard Skinner, but a close third would be the Marshall Tucker band. Um, mm. and, uh, interesting story about that. My mom grew up with Toy and Tommy Caldwell from the Marshall Tucker band. They grew up two two houses down from my mom in Spartanburg. So got, got to represent, uh, South yeah. Carolina, but Leonard Skinner edges them out a bit. So, Yeah. And the least favorite is definitely the Beatles. They're, they're <laughs> he knows their he knows their fighting words for me, but um. <laughs> well, we'll probably lost like half our listeners because like does isn't everyone supposedly doesn't everyone supposedly like love the Beatles? It's like the greatest band ever or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> my so my top two are Cream and Jethro Tull. Ooh, Cream nice. is Cream is great. I love Cream. I saw Jack Bruce live in 2003 for free at the uh, Taste of Chicago. Um, wow. Just a big festival they have in Chicago, and you can just walk right in. At least you could then. Maybe it's not free anymore. But um, but it was a Beatles tribute concert. Sorry, Jack. Huh. But Jack Bruce was one of like the lead. lead it was him, Chris Christopherson, Mark Farner, a bunch of people, a bunch of like, you know, it was 20 years ago. So a lot of these people were a little bit younger and still alive in there yeah um, well i can anger you too uh drew because you know what doesn't belong in rock music a flute oh uh this is hard to disagree on that jethro <laughs> toll makes it work but jethro toll is cool because they 
like they came out of like the the English folk revival of the 60s mm-hmm. fascinating uh you got like bands like Steel Eye Span and Fairport Convention um yeah. just to name drop some for our listeners to check out if they haven't I, I I rarely come across people who who are like who've heard of this I mean this stuff's like 50 years ago it was such a fascinating time but um, yeah my least favorite's CCR can't stand CCR oh, that's really that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, it sounds Their like Auto Rivals great. It's yeah, great. I, I would agree with you there. I like them. Yeah, I call it. I call it butt rock. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, so um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I know that's another popular. Well, I, I probably offended as many, not as probably not as many people's James with dissing the Beatles. So, um, all right, and uh, so. And if you were, uh, Kyle, to recommend me, okay, because you say also you love fine stout scotch and coffee. So if you could recommend me a good scotch for like under $30, well, (laughs) not 30, let's say if if you could recommend a good scotch under $80, what would it, it, I have no idea about scotch. So do you like scotch? Do you like whiskey as well? I like bourbon a lot. Okay. So what I would recommend in this moment, and this gets back even to the to the classic rock bit, um, Bob Dylan, who is one of my all time favorites in rock, and I guess he stands for classic rock, has a line of of whiskeys that are um, called Heaven's Heaven's Door, okay. and uh, and you can usually find a bottle of that for less than eighty dollars, but that is fantastic if you can get a hold of it. Right. Okay. Well. Thanks for the the recommendation. Um, I'll check it out. I know uh, there's just so many. There's so much different scotches and whiskeys and vodkas. It's like it's like insane to. There are, <laughs> yeah, there are. You when you get into the world of scotch, you got to separate the the ones that taste a little more iodiney versus the ones that have a smoother, more vanilla oak taste to them. So there's a lot of work in there. Yeah. And uh, who, this might be a hard one because we're asking a comic book like aficionado, but like, do you have a favorite superhero? Yeah, you know, I, I'll have to cheat on it a little bit I, and say that my favorite two heroes, and I can never divide between the two, are, are Batman and Spider-Man. I've been reading them both equally as long and I have equal amount of dedication to both characters. And I like them for different reasons, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have one. I mean, I liked, I liked uh, some of the Batman movies growing up. I've liked, I've enjoyed a Spider-Man movie, enjoyed Superman movies, you know, X-Men. I love the animated series. Yes. Yeah. That was good. Yes. I grew up with that. Yeah. Uh, What about you, James? So what you have to learn, Drew, is that you can't say who's your favorite. You have to say who's your favorite Marvel superhero or who's your favorite DC. Yeah, superhero. I know. Y'all do. <laughs> Kyle did was was far more generous and just said, I, "I can't choose between these two. But all he had to say was, "My favorite Marvel superhero is Spider Man, and my favorite DC superhero is Batman. Uh, my favorite Marvel superhero is Deadpool." Okay. Which. Uh, is that that has uh, that has given the kids in the youth group a um, a lot of good chuckles because they think it's hilarious that their priest likes Deadpool, 
because yeah. Deadpool is um, irreverent to say the least. Um, and then my favorite DC superhero would definitely have to be Batman, but a close second would be the Flash. I was, say, uh, I was about to cut in and like, let me guess your favorite DC hero. I love, I love the Flash, especially the Carmine Infantino 1950s run of the Flash, the, the Silver Age. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know, uh, James, you got your, your kind of, you have our, uh, kind of our foundational questions to kind of like, all right, rolling here. Well, let's, let's dig in. So just some background, Kyle and I've known each other for six years and Kyle was actually the guy that got me back into reading comic books. He also happens to be my daughter's godfather and his wife or her godparents. Um, so Kyle and I will probably banter a bit um, because we've known each other quite a bit, uh, quite a while. But um, one of the things that we frequently talk about and was the impetus for this conversation was that if you are a priest and are fascinated with theology and enjoy reading theology, comic books are often frustrating because they can be examples of really bad theology. And to foreshadow a bit, they can also be examples of good theology. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of bad theology comes into play. Um, and so the first question I was going to ask you, Kyle, is if you had to say, what would be the most pervasive bad teaching false teaching heresy that you could see and um uh encouraged in comic books yeah can i can i kind of cheat on this uh question oh, just a little and yeah. i would say that there's probably three things that jump out uh to me um the first of course and this might sound quite obvious is that in comic books the universe that you're dealing with is a Christless universe. Right. And there's a problem right there from the get-go. Right. Um, Jesus has occasionally made appearances in comic books um, throughout the course of history, but generally when he makes an appearance, he tends to be more of uh, the good human teacher that, you know, people seek to follow rather than the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that scripture presents him as. So I would say that that's one particular problem in comic books is that you start with that fundamental um, idea that, that the universe is devoid of Christ, that it's devoid of the Trinity. Um, and you know a lot of things go in very different directions as a result of that. I think the second thing, and this follows off of it, is that basically the universe is made up in comic books of, um, of a series of gods, um, whether we're talking about the DC universe or the Marvel universe or any of the other numbers of comic book companies that are out there, generally the universe is made up of some pantheon of good gods and bad gods. And um, generally speaking, they kind of play into this dualistic idea that um, has often found its way into Christianity that you've got you know, the good gods and bad gods of equal power who are just duking it out uh, for supremacy in this world. So I think those two things kind of take shape. 
Um, that, that's what I would say would be the first together. The second would really be um, that there's tends to be a, a fairly Gnostic picture of life in comic books. That is that the spirit world is um, good and the material world is bad. Um, when you've seen, when we've seen depictions of the afterlife in comic books, usually it's that people become disembodied spirits and they go on to inhabit some spiritual realm, which as we know has kind of crept into Christian thinking at times as well. Um, so those are two. The third one I would say is that there has tended to be in comic books, um, generally speaking, a false picture of humanity in the sense that human beings are generally good creatures who make bad choices. Right. And so there's been a lot of, of encouragement um, in comic books to kind of use superheroes as models to encourage people to live better lives. So I think those three things really together kind of paint a picture of some of the bad teachings that we see in comics. So I know James let you know that, you know, we're not a, a gotcha podcast. Yeah. And we're really not, but but I do like in episodes to kind of like entertain a dev, devil's advocate sure. argument just to see, just in order to help you uh, probably, you know, really convince, convince us. Um, so like my first thought when I hear that's like, well, why does, why do comic books need to have Christian theology, right? Like why, why would comic books be where we would go to for theological insights anyways? Um, yeah. Like my first thoughts, like we, like when you talk about, or the, basically the, this, the worldview, as you say, it's presented in a lot of comics or just like kind of, um, um, whether intentionally or not, but just kind of the view of humanity that they assume. Um, a lot of it, it, it kind of has, has a lot of similarity to the things that ancient pagan cultures exalted, uh, honor, courage, you know, um, but they didn't like exalt things like um, humility and redemption as much. Um, and so, and, you know, like, I remember as a kid, I enjoyed Greek mythology. I thought the stories were fascinating. I did not believe any of it as my religion, um, sure. but I thought it was fine. And there is some overlap there because I, I, I'm sure there's tons of graphic novels and comic books on the Greek gods. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, so um, I guess, what do you, what do you say to that? Is there a danger in, because comic books are, I mean, people really do. I don't want to say they treat it like a religion, but it's for a lot of people, a lot of that lore, whether it's Marvel lore, Lucasfilm, whatever is so, it's such a part of their identity because, you know, they, it, it, it hit them when they were a kid and they were just like, they were, in, um, grew up loving it and it's just a big part of who they are. So do you see potential dangers, I guess, in, in, the, in the messaging of some of it because it contrasts uh, Christian, yeah. Christianity so much. Yeah, I, I want to be careful not to, um, definitely not to paint any picture that I think has sometimes crept up in more fundamentalist Christianity, where we should like avoid anything that disagrees with the Christian faith in any way, right? Because um, uh, I think that's not helpful at all. I think there's, 
so there is benefit to reading comic books. I don't think we should expect comic books to be Christian. I mean, there are Christian comic books out there. There's a whole subgenre of Christian comics that exists, but um, uh, I don't think we should expect it. I do think that generally what comic books tend to do, much like any kind of, of novels or um, you know things that we would read along that line, a lot of them tend to paint a picture of what we're wrestling with in life, what we're struggling with, what we're trying to make sense of. And I think comics have a value in that regard. Um, I think that they do definitely paint a picture of, of the problems that human beings experience. And I can say more about that later. Um, I think that they also tend to paint a picture of, of where we look for hope what we're looking for in terms of meaning and purpose in life. And in that regard, I would say there's sometimes a danger because we can put our, we can look for hope and meaning in the wrong places. You know, in fact we do, I mean, that's what human nature does. So, um, so while I would, you know, think comic book reading is good, I would definitely caution people about looking to comic books for meaning and for hope, um, looking for a worldview to be painted out of them, because that worldview might not prove to be the true worldview in the same way that you wouldn't want to look to Greek myths. You can enjoy them and you can learn things from them, but you wouldn't want to look to them for meaning and right. hope. And I'll confess, I've never, I, I love like, I love like film and good cinema and I've never seen how people could get so much into the fantasy realm, just like personally, um, especially with superhero universes. Like I think a lot of them, those stories can be exciting and fun um, mm -hmm. and even have artistic quality and whatnot. But I, I always, like for me, my top 10 favorite films, I don't think I would have anything of that nature. Um, there would be, it'd be more like dramas or, thrillers or something i don't know it's um movies and stories that perhaps do show the depravity of of humans yeah. um and you know it, there was I, i'm sure you're familiar with fleming fleming rutledge the episcopal oh, yeah. priest and writer she said um that the the message of the cross can really preach and resonate to people today uh because some of the best stories are are about one of either two things transformation or redemption mm -hmm. and both of those are entailed are central to the message of the cross and um i don't know i just thought that was um you know it, i made a connection like wow i guess i realized all the books and movies that seemingly don't have any religious you know connection um nevertheless do have those do present those very real um human things right and yeah. so, um, I don't know, it's just kind of an insight I had going off to what you just said. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great insight. And that's exactly why I think comics have value in, in for Christians, even reading them, right? Is that we can see those, we can see those uh, stories of redemption and transformation um, well-written in a lot of comic books. And they can be launch pads because of the popularity of comic books today especially with things like the Marvel movies and, and, you know, some of the DC movies, um, 
you can see uh, you can see that those kinds of stories and they they become they become in ways gateways towards uh, apologetics and evangelism for people. You know, they become ways to talk about the Christian faith with people. Um, yeah, so well, I think there's great value. Oh, I was going to say, can I say something real quick, James, to because uh, it won't be relevant in a minute when you said, uh, yeah, all the Marvel movies and some of the DC movies, <laughs> as, much, as much as I've not followed superhero stuff, because there's like a movie out every month now, from what I gather and from what I've, the little I've seen, whenever I've come across a Marvel thing, it's usually a better than a DC thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> everyone raved about the Wonder Woman movie. I did not see what it was all about, what the hype was all about. Same for even like we i tried watching the director's cut of uh justice league yeah i didn't have enough hours in my life <laughs> but also i was like why is this because you know they said the original cut whatever was like a, a a bomb and then like the director's cut was like a five star i'm like i don't i don't yeah i just didn't i was i was getting bored with it so you know yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, um, the DC movies have tended to take the characters away from their comic book selves and try to reinvent them as darker characters than what they they actually are. And I think that they've struggled and failed on a number of levels as a result of that. Well, and, and one thing to keep in mind, too, is that comic books are by nature attractive to people who are in a vulnerable place like superman was created by uh by jerry siegel and um what was schuster's first name joe joe schuster yeah yep um because they were they were young jewish men growing up in new york and superman became a kind of golem a protector in their mind, someone that they wish existed uh, because of the hardships they experienced when they were growing up. And so people look to superheroes and look to fantasy sometimes as an escape from an overly oppressive reality. And so that's where what Kyle was talking about with apologetics can come in, that you realize that that the world is broken and so people look to a superhero they look to something outside of themselves for a redemptive event you know and and one of those things that's pervasive in comics is the substitutionary sacrifice so like there is so much crossover between christianity and the best of comics but it's just a lot of the time comics are deeply influenced also by and sort of a religious milieu that it gets some of the 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 diagnosis right but it doesn't get quite the solution right would you say that's fair kyle i would say that's fair I, yeah it's very well said so, so I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of of reading and talking about comics because I think it's 
marvelous. I, I'm not a big drama movie fan. I mean, I've always been, when I watch movies and TV, I tend to do that as an escape from, from daily life. Like, I'll give you a, for instance, Rachel, my wife watches uh, or watched This Is Us. I absolutely could not stand that show. And it's not because it was a bad show. It's because it was way too real. And so for me, I love watching Jedi's duking it out with lightsabers because it excites my inner 10 year old. Um, but if I'm watching someone on a deathbed, like I do that in my daily life as a priest, I don't want to see that on TV, you know? Right. Um, so, so that's kind of, that's kind of where I come from with my, with my love for comics and sort of where I, where I feel protective over the medium, if that makes sense. James, it's funny. I, I went through that too. Kind of my, my first four years of ministry, I didn't want to watch anything serious whatsoever. Um, we watched a lot of like uh, what, uh, Jonah Hill, uh, you know, James Franco and uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Judd, Judd Apatow, the movie, the Judd Apatow movie. It's a bunch of like comedies from like the Oh, yeah. early to mid 2010s like that's like all we this Rogan but, is probably here you're talking about Seth Rogan Seth Rogan gosh yeah how could I forget his name but um you just watch like silly comedies like you know that um they're they were not good movies but there's <laughs> you're just like just like yeah I didn't want I don't want I didn't want a movie that made me think or ponder but um right I don't know I'm, I'm weird I'm kind of been going through I've been kind of branching out again in my cinephilia a little bit here and there but you sure. know um well, you were talking about the universal monsters, right? I mean, no mummy is going to literally come out of a crypt. And, and those are, yeah, those are little, those are more fun and detached, you know, um, those aren't like realist movies um, by any means, but yeah, I'm really brilliant into that. I, I, I saw a list. You see me post on Facebook. It's a list yes. of like every universal monster from the twenties to the 1960. It was like all encompassing because they even had like the silent movies with Lon Chaney of like mm. Phantom and Hunch, Hunchback. But I've watched, I've, I've ever since midsummer, I've been like kind of watching movies, like either streaming them, finding them for free or sometimes just renting them. But um, my favorite so far, yeah, I, I'll always love Ch Lon Chaney's Phantom. The movie The Raven with Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, they did a series of movies. Raven is awesome. It's like not exactly based on the Poe story, but it's mm. like it's like a, a mad scientist with a bunch of Poe-esque, Poe-inspired like torture things in his basement and everyone has to escape out of the house. Really good movie. And then um, Son of Dracula, which is um, which was one of the sequels to the Lugosi. Cheney Jr. plays Dracula in it. And which is like sacrilege for, you know, people who love Dracula. But I just thought it was a really well done movie. And I guess it got good reviews when it when it came out. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. So. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, Young Frankenstein. Great Universal Monster movie. Um, <laughs> now that I'm watching all the, I actually, I, I think I could go back. Because when I first saw Young Frankenstein, I'm like, why is this funny? Oh, it was for a generation who grew up on all yes. the movies, and this is a, a parody of it, right? Right. I would yeah. get it more now, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would. <laughs> yeah. So, back to back to comic books, but all of this is germane. Um, back to comic books, though. Are there any examples of superheroes that embody particularly bad theology? And 
And this is not a question where we're 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 hating on the the medium of superhero comics because as we've all expressed, or at least as Kyle and I have expressed, and Drew is a is is a an acquaintance of comics and does not hate them, perhaps just isn't as well versed. Um, we can fix that, don't worry. But uh we'll get to the good side too but but we we want to start with the bad uh, what what would you say are are some examples of superheroes or maybe even maybe even just particular writers who embody bad theology in the comics that they write yeah i mean there there're probably a lot that could be named i i think just kind of playing off of some of the things that i said earlier um I green the character of Green Lantern strikes me as someone who has a uh, somewhat bad theology behind him. Um, you know, the story of Green Lantern is that there's a there's this intergalactic uh, space force that um, that basically keeps the universe in order. It's the the guardians uh, and the guardians hire well, the guardians go out and they find these men who have strong willpower and who um, have such strong willpower that they have no fear and they make them into green lanterns and green lanterns job, the, all the green lanterns job is to patrol the, the universe and make sure that peace and order are kept in play. The problem with green lantern is that um, there's a character named Abin Sur who is, uh, is an alien who's a Green Lantern who is dying. He crashes to Earth in, a, in an attempt to find a new Green Lantern to replace him, and he discovers a pilot named Hal Jordan. And Hal Jordan um, is picked to be the next Green Lantern because Hal Jordan has this exceedingly strong willpower, and he has this willpower that can overcome fear. The bad theology in it, of course, is that while it is true that we human beings do have strong willpower, we do, right? Um, we don't really have a strong enough willpower to overcome fear. And I think you, you can ultimately set people up to believe that such a thing is possible. If people buy into that, you know, right. um, and, and that, I mean, we can talk more about will and, and willpower and stuff. But I think that's an example where there's a little bit of bad theology about the human condition at work. What, what are human beings? What abilities and powers do human beings actually possess? What are we able to do and not do, right? Um, Green Lantern sort of creates a high anthropology, um, sets us up in a place where, where human nature is much greater than what I think human nature really is. Uh, I think you can see that played out in Superman quite frequently. And I love Superman. I mean, Superman's my second slash third favorite superhero in, in the mix. Um, but Superman, based on the writer of Superman, there's been a tendency to use Superman as a, um, as a kind of marker of aspiration that we can all achieve this element of greatness that Superman has. Um, and let me let me lump one other piece in there and then I'll round out that thought. Um, you also find some similar types of things in Spider-Man. Sp uh, many people know Spider-Man's mantra, which is with great power comes great responsibility. Right. right. This is what Uncle Ben says to Spider-Man when he's dying. Um, it's what he taught him. And so 
um, the expectation that runs through Spider-Man's life is that he's been given this great power and consequently he's supposed to act at a, at a greater level. He's supposed to be a better person. Um, the downside in all of the Spider-Man stories is that Spider-Man can never measure up to that level that he's being given. And what he's got is failure after failure, loss after loss. Um, so all of that is to say that one of the things that seems to happen in comic books quite a bit here with this sort of bad theology that has a high anthropology, a high view of human nature, is that we're left with in, in Lutheran and reformational Anglican terms, we're left with the law. Mm -hmm. So we're left with this idea that humans actually have an ability to rise to a, this great level and achieve these great things. And, um, and so I think that's some evidence of, of some of the kind of bad theology that we can see at work in certain characters. Right. Um, one other one I'll throw in for you is um, recently the character Moon Knight who was a fairly obscure character right. in the comic book world. You know, they, they had written series about Moon Knight from the late 70s through the 1980s. They had, you know, short runs and then the character would kind of fade away and they'd bring him back and he got revived a couple of times in the 90s and the 2000s. And the basic um, elements of his character got shape-shifted and... They changed and he became, you know, uh, slightly different from what they intended him to be in the beginning. He recently got a Disney Plus show as part of the Marvel Universe. And, um, and Moon Knight's a great show. I do. I found it enjoyable. I know, um, I know James, you kind of struggled with it a little bit uh, upon first watching. Um, yeah. Yeah. And after rumination, I feel I feel better with how it ended. Also, after reading some Moon Knight comics, I feel better about how it ended. That helped. Yeah. I heard other people, too, say that they they kind of didn't know what to make of the show after after it was all over. But one thing that Moon Knight does, Moon Knight has a lot to do with Egyptian gods and the Egyptian gods granting powers to certain human beings to be their avatars, to be their um basically like they're, they're under gods to operate in this world. One of the things Moon Knight painted at the very end, and I'm sorry to spoil this, you can turn the podcast off, I guess, and go watch the entire run of Moon Knight if you have to. Um, but uh, one thing Moon Knight left us with was the idea that gods in general are selfish and vengeful. Right. And I think that does a big disservice to things like the Christian faith, right? Because if this is what People are generally hearing in, in these things that you can't trust gods because gods are selfish and gods are vengeful. Um, that, you know, that, that's an issue. Right. And I've experienced with a lot of, um, with, with a more and more um, de-Christianized social environment, um, a lot of people hold the, those views of the Christian God. Yep. Um, sometimes it may come from hurt they experienced in the church, but all, more often than not, I'm just really finding people, they, they have a perception of Christians and they don't know any better because they've never really talked to a Christian and they've probably never actually gone to a church. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of our, a, a lot of just the kind of the, um, 
the little, you know, references to to God or divinity or, or deity you do get in culture and pop culture is uh, very much like more pagan, uh, paganistic con uh, conceptions of of God and deity. And so um, it's, you know, it's, it's, and that's how they, they really, they write it all off as that. And so. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'll yeah. add a couple of examples too, that, that from my own reading, I think presents some theological problems. So Batman tends to present a theological problem in the sense that Batman is the embodiment of vengeance. Mm -hmm. Like Batman is the one who takes vengeance upon the evildoers. And I mean, scripture, not to negate what was just said a second ago, but, but scripture is clear. God says, vengeance is mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the, uh, the fact that a human being would take that mantle upon himself is already um, brazen. Um and and troublesome and i say that after having said batman is my favorite dc superhero so let's be clear on that i love a good batman story but i recognize out the gate that batman has some uh, some serious issues um in terms of like theological outlook another that presents um a, 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 i think a deeper problem with regard to theology specifically is Constantine. And this is one of those comics that's perhaps even esoteric for comic book readers. So Constantine, John Constantine's Hellblazer is the name of the comic. And you may have seen the Keanu Reeves movie that came out in 2000 called Constantine, um, which at the time I loved and I still, I think it's aged pretty well. Um, it's got one of my favorite lines from any movie in it. Uh, Constantine Keanu Reeves is speaking with Rachel Vice's character and um, and she says to him I don't believe in the devil and he responds why he believes in you uh, I thought that was that was pretty clever right off the bat but um, but what Constantine does is it presents a kind of, and, and Moon Knight does this too a kind of weighing of the scales where your good deeds are weighed against your bad deeds. And if you do just enough good, then God will welcome you into heaven. But if you do one more bad thing than good thing, then down to hell you go to be tormented forever. And that is, um, that's one of those deeply problematic things that, that I think horribly afflicts Christianity. And I don't, I don't think we can say that that's necessarily directly caused by comic books because mm -hmm. comic books are not as pervasive as they once were but it is i think caused by the valorizing of um of the human will and the valorizing of um human ability um and also seeing other religions that are moralistic and legalistic um so I kind of answered the third question I was going to ask you, Kyle, which was if you had to say what would what would Batman's theological Achilles heel be? Feel free to add to what I said if you'd like or if you want to disagree, that's fine, too. Yeah, no, I mean, 
a couple of things I'd say in response to what you just said. Um, first of all, yes, I do definitely agree with your perspective on Batman. I think Batman's fundamental problem is that Batman has no faith in God. Right. Um, he's a he's he's broken. He's hurt. He's you know witnessed the death of his parents and um, and in that vacuum of um, of dealing with the hiddenness of God. Because the question, while it's never been posed in Batman, is really there um, in some ways. You know, why did God not stop this? Why did God not prevent this from happening? And, um, and so in that, in that kind of hiddenness of God moment, Batman really does the only thing that he thinks he can do, which is to assume the reins of control himself. Right. right? He's going to be the one to fix the problem. If there's injustice in the world, well, it's down to him to be smarter and better and tougher than every single criminal and, and evildoer that he could possibly encounter. And ultimately, his goal is to fix the problem. He believes that he can be greater than, than being uh, just a human being. I mean, that's really, uh, Batman's got an aspirancy to being God in himself and thinks he can be greater than that. And there's a very telling and moving scene um, a couple of years ago, maybe around 20, 2018, writer Tom King did a run on Batman. And I really like this one thing that King did with Batman. He finally brought Batman to this really, really rough patch of his life. And, um, and a lot of things were going wrong for Batman at that point. And there's this moving scene where, where Batman confesses, I'm just a damn man. Mm -hmm. You know, he gets to a point of recognizing that he's not the God he thought he was, but he's a human. And he's got all the, the, the brokenness and the inabilities that all of us humans have. So I do think that is one, one particular issue um, that Batman, you know, is dealing with. I will say, just as an aside, connected to this, but as a slight aside, um, Batman has also tended to propagate Marcionism. If you want to talk about heresies, uh, Batman has propagated Marcionism. There's a, a scene that has stood out since I was 12 years old. I read this issue, Batman 412, where Batman and Jason Todd Robin are finishing up their nightly rounds and they're on a rooftop together and the church bells start ringing and um and robin asks batman why basically why you know they don't go to church what batman believes about this stuff and batman's response was well basically i hold to an old testament view rather than a new testament view of god uh, following the marcionite thinking right that god is the old testament god is a vengeful sort of god that's okay. the God Batman sticks with versus a grace God of the New Testament, which we know is not accurate. Interestingly, because he, he uses the Marcion categories. Right. But Marcy, at the end, him and Marcion wouldn't agree because Marcion's going to go with his so-called New Testament God versus right. Old Testament. Batman's going to go with the old. So yeah. I was curious, um, kind of like as I was listening to, to you talk about, you know, the 
just the, the allergy to like being a human being or, or vulnerability and, and, you know, the limitations of being human that um, comic books, see, you know, they, they, they get us hooked because it's a, you know, aspiration to rise above that. Um, again, as James said, I'm not well-versed in that universe, but uh, I love action. I love action movies. Um, uh, whether it's older, you know, Sylvester Stallone, Rambo, of course, those aren't, those are old and new because they keep doing them, you know, older Bruce Willis or like Jason Statham movies. I, I love seeing like people, like one person put in like a, a crazy situation that, no, crazy situation that reasonably no person could get out of, you know, one, you know, one person against like, you know, like in Commando, like all odds against them, but they get through it. It's just like they're just like fun movies to watch, right? I just love like I yeah. love a good action movie. You know, Olympus has fallen with uh, Gerard uh, Butler. You know, like, so I'm like, you know, people die. You know, it's basically the Die Hard thing, just in the White House. But right, like I wonder if some of that, some of that is there. If we if we apply this same lens to looking at the that genre, that type of entertainment through, if it's really the same critique we can have, because I th I'm seeing it as yes. I mean, it's. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, there's people who've gotten medals of honor for, for, you know, um, remarkable heroic acts and like wars and stuff, but, um, most of those people that have those medals of honor would have, would have said, you know, I could have been dead any minute. I was, you know, it's a lot of them recognized their own vulnerability, interestingly, you know, so mm -hmm. I just wonder if that, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking out, out loud kind of just, um, uh, not just comic books but in a lot of other entertainment you see this you know yeah well and there's actually a, a tie-in between that kind of action movie feel and the affinity that we have for that and the christian fate in the person of sam childers have you ever heard the story of sam childers he's known mm -hmm. affectionately as the machine gun preacher Oh, I've heard of him. Yes. Yeah. So he, uh, Sam Childers was, if memory serves, in a biker gang when he was um, a young adult, um, came to faith and became a preacher and went to Sudan, the Sudan for, um, for some mission thing and saw the havoc that was being wreaked by um, Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army. They were taking children from the Sudan and from Uganda and enlisting them in this Lord's Resistance Army, which, uh, if memory serves, also is a kind of bad theology in and of itself. It's like almost, I think Joseph Coney said that he was in the embodiment of the Holy Spirit or something like that. So it's almost kind of a Montanism, but it, it was very deeply problematic because he was, you know, he was kidnapping kids, um, and, uh, and enlisting them in, in this, um, this war, um, and Sam Childers, um, stayed there and would actually go and liberate camps of these kids. Um, he'd go fight. I mean, he'd go fully armed and, and liberate these camps and shoot people. And, and I remember watching an interview with him 
And Gerard Butler played him in a movie, by the way, called uh, Machine Gun Preacher. And uh, I remember watching an interview with Sam Childers, um, and he said, you know, the guy was kind of, uh, the, the interviewer was saying basically like, how do you, how do you justify what you're doing? He's like, well, people, people don't like what I do, but then I'm the first person they come to when their kid gets kidnapped. <laughs> like it's, it's one of those things that, that, you know, like we, we, I, I guess, I, I guess I've sort of digressed here, but, but I, I find the story fascinating because it's one of those areas where action movies and, and Christianity kind of connect and perhaps butt against each other, but also it's a, it's a fascinating thought experiment. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's definitely some crossover there. Um, and, and I think going back through to your comments about the action movies as well, I mean, we definitely have moments in, in real life, apart from comic books and movies, where people do kind of rise up and, and you know, do what needs to be done. And they win the, the medals and, you know, the honors at times and things of that nature. I think the biggest issue, at least in my thinking, with some of the stuff that, that we see both in movies and comic books has to do with... Um, with kind of recognizing that two kingdoms theology, I think that um, Batman, so I, I can't remember whether you all have done something on two kingdoms theology or not, but the shorthand of yeah. it is. Bradford Littlejohn did an episode, but but give us a recap. Cause I, I was thinking okay. this all along. I'm like, you know, can we, can I appreciate action movies and comic books on a, on a, um, a city of earth level and not a city of God level, you know? Um, but yeah. So, Kind of a re what were you yeah what were you going to say yeah so basically in luther's thinking and i know that the reformed have a slightly different take on this um but in luther's thinking because that's what i'm well versed in uh he he said that basically there's two kingdoms at work in this world both of which are operative by god so there is the kingdom of god which is wherever the gospel is being proclaimed and people are being converted to the faith and god is doing you know the work of the cross in the world that's God's, uh, you know, God's kingdom at work in, in that regard. God's uh, right-hand kingdom, I think, is how Luther put it. God's left-hand kingdom is, the, um, is effectively the governments of the world. It's, it's law and order in this world. It's, um, it's the institution of order and structure to sort of keep everybody safe so that there's actually room for the gospel to be preached. Um, because otherwise, if there was not that structure of having laws and rules and, and governments, then there would be anarchy and everybody would just do whatever they wanted to do. And that would end in, in whoever is the strongest being the last one on top of the heap of bodies, right? So, um, so Luther divided those two things and says, we recognize that God is at work in both of these places, but in different ways. Um, so it's the job of police and military and things of that nature in Luther's thinking to defend people, to protect people, to do what's necessary to make sure that law and order actually happens. Um, it's not the job of individuals to step into that role and try to assume that power and that authority for them. Now, I do find it very interesting that here in the West, and I think this goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War and times like that, 
we've tended to have this little bit of suspicion that always lingers about government and law and order. And I'm not trying to get too political here, but I just think human nature has kind of lent itself in that way, right? That we've always been a little suspicious. So I find it interesting that we really do seem to like in the West, the story of the guy who goes rogue and does what needs to be done because we can't rely on God's left-hand kingdom to actually deal with the problems. Right. And, um, and I think we find that in comics and action movies, right? We sort of like that narrative that right. this, guy, this guy took the power in his hands because the they weren't getting it done otherwise, but he could get it done. So I- Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, I, I, I've seen the kind of idolization of the, um, of the uh, vigilante, of vigilante justice, right? And um, I, I see it more and more with the disillusionment in our institutions, which I think is in part understandable, but I see it like take, just take it into your own hands because you can't trust the broken court system. You can't trust this and that. I'm like, all right, but when you do that, you, you do start to, you, you don't want to open that door because um, due process is a, you know, big part of justice and fairness and, um, you know, it's, so it's there's there's something to be said about order, um, even if that order is broken because the human world is broken. So, yeah, that's right. Well said. Well said. There's even been some critiques in Batman comics recently, uh, critiques of Batman by law enforcement agents in that same vein that Batman's assuming this control, but he doesn't have the ability to actually carry out the due process. He just breaks a whole bunch of rules to kind of get these criminals and then leaves it to the police to deal with them after that. And um, yeah, doesn't doesn't make for a smooth uh, justice system. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the writers of Batman who caricaturizes Batman in that direction is Frank Miller. So you, you mm -hmm. were talking about your Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns uh, comic um, that you lost, Drew. Um, when you get into the older or the newer, excuse me, uh, Frank Miller Batman comics, a lot of what Frank Miller does is like when you read him, you think Frank Miller has got to hate Batman because <laughs> he turns Batman into like the meanest, like most vile person you've ever met, you know, like beating Robin <laughs> in the in the, you know, in the Batcave kind of bad guy. Um, and so it is a criticism of this valorizing of, or, um, you know, the, the considering morally good of this, this taking upon yourself, the power of vengeance. Um, and so I think that's a good segue into sort of the last, um, some finishing touches on this that can help people among our listenership to realize that, that comics aren't bad. Like there, there are good examples of theology in comics. And though this is not a comic book podcast like God in Comics, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of comics. I know Charlie's a fan of comics. Um, and so there are some things that, um, as we were saying at the beginning, can be ways for us as Christians to engage in apologetics with people through the pop culture medium. Um, so Kyle, what would you say are some examples of good theology? And since we're a reformational podcast, a reformationally minded, all three of us are, and our, uh, the, the other two co-hosts of this podcast are as well. 
what would you say are examples of good theology and perhaps even some examples of the reality of the bound will in comics? Yeah. Um, so let, let me go back to the Spider-Man one for an beginning of an answer to that question. I think one of the interesting things with Spider-Man, and this is where it can turn into good theology. I mentioned earlier that Spider-Man has the mantra with great power comes great responsibility. Right. Um, that's really the voice of the law that speaks. I mean, I think we all can recognize that we have this internal pressure that really does say to us, you should be perfect. You should be better than what you are. You've been given these many gifts and you should be, you know, using them in a better way than you are. Um, and we, as I mentioned as well, you look at Spider-Man's life and wait in, in the wake of that law that he's got on him and the failures that he's had and the deaths that have occurred because of his negligence uh, or his failure to act in any given moment. And I think you've got a good springboard in that moment to be able to talk to people about the reality of human life. I think you can talk to people about, um, about our own failures, about our own sense of, of needing to be better, but somehow we're not capable of being better, right? We can talk about the idea of the bound will out of that. We can um, you know, discuss the fact that humans really aren't free creatures, that we are in fact captive to forces outside of ourselves. And those things are sin and death in Christian language, right? That we are, are very much um, slaves to our own self-interest, which Spider-Man evidences. And there's great illustrations of that, um, that we're, you know, we're, we're subject to the pain of death, which we see in Spider-Man. I think that the other great thing that that we can see with Spider-Man, although only one time in the history of that character, um, and he's been around since 1962 now, only one time in the history of that character have they ever gotten to this moment, and it was only recently. The thing that Spider-Man needs more than anything else is a word of absolution. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that he has not gotten until very recently, and of course, it didn't come out in a cleanly Christian way, but it came about in a story where someone said forgiveness is what's needed in this moment, you know, that there needs to be forgiveness for the things that you failed to do in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a beautiful moment when it happened. Uh, nearly brought tears to my eyes, you know, because um, because that's that's what life boils down to. We all need that that forgiveness and that, um, that freedom that comes with that. So I think that's a good example of where comic books can be really helpful and useful. Um, this is gonna sound weird, but just go with me here. I think another example where comic books are good and have something to offer is when you look at characters like the Watchmen or maybe even the boys. And, okay. and, um, and I know that both have been made into movies and TV shows. Um, you know, kids, if any kids are listening to this, uh, don't <laughs> take my recommendation here. Those are not things that children should be watching. Right. But the one thing that I find about both The Watchmen and The Boys 
is that they are depictions of real human nature. Mm-hmm. And I think they're beneficial mm-hmm. because I think they become windows of opportunity to talk about the fact that even these heroes are flawed and broken people. You know, um, whereas in the past, the tendency was to want to put the heroes up on the godlike pedestal. You know, that's what really happened with the characters, certainly in the 1950s, 1960s and so forth. Um, Now we can sort of look at those characters through series like The Watchmen and The Boys, which tries to say, hey, you know what? We used to do that with those characters. But if they're really human, they've got to be as messed up as a lot of us are. And um, and so I think that there's there's some good illustrations of the reality of being a human being, of being a sinful human being in those things. And I think right. that they're helpful in that way. Now, of course, they don't an- they don't offer answers. Right. Um, the boys and watchmen kind of just fall into a nihilism, uh, you know, utter uh, utter depravity um, more than anything else. But I will say that the biggest positive that we have in comic books aside from those depictions of human nature that become touch points for us to talking about for us talking about the gospel with other people is that there's one overriding story in all comic books and that is we need to be rescued from something right that's the one theme that i think you could trace through at least all the superhero comics i you kind of have to leave out some of the other stuff that's out there that's non-superhero. But I think in all the superhero comics, there tends to be a theme that there are things in this world that are bigger than what we can handle, despite the kind of promptings for us to rise up and be better or to take matters into our own hands. Inevitably, in all those circumstances, there seems to be some failure. Mm -hmm. But there always seems to be this expression that we need rescue, we need help. Right. And um, and I like, in light of that, I like what I saw a couple of years ago, there was a t-shirt that was going around and there was a DC version and a Marvel version, but the t-shirt showed Jesus sitting in the middle of these superheroes. And Jesus said, let me tell you how I saved the world. And I thought that's beautiful, right? Like that just captures, we all know we need rescue. These other guys can't do it but Jesus can, and Jesus did. And so that, that's just, um, I think, a good opportunity for apologetics and evangelism for being able to share God's word with people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was going to say something else, but I feel like that was a good way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle, thanks for being on. I mean, I, I it kind of challenged me to... Uh, interest me interested me in a little bit and just getting um more familiar with these uh franchises and you know i guess uh sagas of these uh different superheroes and everything and um but i think you spoke a lot of truth here uh the the need for grace which is so central to you know the language of our podcast um I, I did not see that t-shirt that he spoke about. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. It's kind of, yeah. too, but, <laughs> but it is I, kind of corny, but, um, <laughs> but it is true. Cause I, I think so. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, what I'm, I know this podcast will get um, just by 
publishing it with some hashtags for Marvel DC and superheroes that we might have some crossover audiences. So we might have some new listeners through this episode. Um, you know, what? actually I'm curious on what, what's kind of the listenership of your podcast? Do you have a kind of a rough idea of uh, for gods and God and comics? Uh, in terms of like age or, or I guess just, just um, it, even like people that may interact or engage with, I mean, it's, is it, people from the church or are there people that kind of they're they're listen they listen to comic book stuff and so um they they somehow came across your podcast and now the, they've tuned in a little bit and have heard some of this yeah i think we've we've had we've tended to have some folks who um who have been steeped in comic books but mm -hmm. they're also wrestling with spiritual issues yeah. and trying to figure out what they believe mm -hmm. and so a number of of those folks listen to us. We've also got people from the church who, um, who have often listened to us simply because they either have us as their priest, right. um, and they're curious about why their priest is so into comic books and they mm -hmm. listen for that reason. So, yeah. yeah, I know we've also got some kids that listen to our podcast as a result of, um, of Jonathan Michigan being involved with a, um, a Roman Catholic school some of the kids have gotten intrigued by why their priest at the school is yeah. reading comics. So, yeah. yeah cool. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for being on here. And, um, you know, I'm going to tune into God and comics and that will probably be a good starter for me uh, to know anything about uh, the comic book and the comic book universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure there's just yeah. a million references in each episode. So, Yep. Um, well, and, 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 you know, when you're ready, Drew, you just come to Kyle and me and we'll give you some, we'll give you plenty of recommendations for, for a good starting point. I bet. Yeah. And I, I won't try, I won't try to lose them in a move like I did a, a Frank Miller book, which I'm, there you go. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> all right, guys. Well, uh, God bless and uh, uh, take care. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.